Hey, hey, everyone, this is Savante, and I am back on Dear College Students. I am sorry that I have not produced the episode in like two weeks, not even gonna lie. Um, I just finished my exam, so now I am back on it. I have missed you all. I actually have a very special guest on my episode today, who is my fraternity brother, one of my best friends since 2016. And we will be talking about a variety of subjects today. This episode will be different and it won't be like any of the other episodes only because there's so much to talk about. And whenever me and my friend link together, it's always a great conversation. So, you you know, you all just sit back, relax, enjoy the show. And without further ado, I will let him introduce himself. Hey, hello, everybody. My name is Parrish Dove. I am, like he said, we are brothers in life, we are brothers in success, we are brothers in love, ultimately. And um, yeah, I'm here to hopefully spread some good words with you guys, give you some intellect on my own accord, and hopefully bring a blessing into your lives. And with that being said, P-Dove, can you please tell the people a little bit about you? Absolutely. Well, I am a creative, first and foremost. I believe that God gave me and blessed me with the gift of creativity. I am a graphic designer as well as a tailor and pattern maker. And in the meantime, I like to read and improve my thoughts and do some critical thinking. Wow. And P-Dove, you know, I've been looking forward to having you on this episode. And you've been telling me you've yeah, been wanting to be on this ever episode. Since you told me you were podcasting, <laughs> bro, you know I'm, I'm down for it. And the thing with P-Dove, he's actually been in California, but he's here in Florida right now, which um, I'm very excited about because we have really been looking forward to this episode. And, sure. you know, like I said, this podcast will be different like none of my other ones. And I first want to start off by asking you, you know, a lot of people say that we only use 10% of our potential. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Wow. Well, I think that ultimately for us to manage a level of chaos within our society that there has to be a little bit of programming involved for us to maintain on a day-to-day basis in order for everybody to feel comfortable with you know working a nine to five every day and maintaining a home and possibly maintaining a family and just playing your part in society, you're only needed to sustain a certain amount of things. Mm -hmm. And I think that 10% of thought or of your brain capacity is specifically for that, so that you're not necessarily disrupting the natural order of things, but that you fall in line and play your part. And I ultimately think that once you realize that you're only using that little bit it should spark a light bulb. Right. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that a light bulb should go off to make you think, well, I wonder what would happen if I were to use 11% or doubled it, 20%, 30 percent right. And exercising your brain, really making yourself uncomfortable is ultimately how you're going to see change and see the potential that you ultimately have. Wow. So it sounds like what you're saying, too, is like that 10 percent of potential that we do use. It's more of a um, survival mechanism. Yes. And 
you know, in shorter terms, because, you know, it's kind of just like working memory where we're just going through the motions on a day to day basis in mm -hmm. order to survive. But what you're saying is if we learn to use more than that 10 percent, even if it's 10.5 percent of our potential, how much of a difference it would make in our lives? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And, you know, like I said, um, you know, it's just so much that me and you always talk about. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things that I wanted to ask you is, um, what do you think about fear? Man, that's a loaded question. But, well, initially when you say fear, I think about scripture. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but mm -hmm. of power and love and of a sound mind. Right. Which is something I always refer to when I'm apprehensive about pursuing something right and i think fear itself is an energy i think it's mm. a spirit i think it's something that has to be pruned or else it can take control over something kind of like fire right like once it catches a hold of it if you don't maintain it or if you ultimately don't put it out then it'll come to the demise of something and be detrimental uh fear is something that I think has caused a lot of people to be how do I want to say this I guess fear is something that makes people complacent hmm. it's like okay. a major thing and people not wanting to go forth and do bigger or better things or become better it's like they have this little thing in the back of their head saying oh nah you shouldn't do that because of this or that reason, or you're not worthy of this, or something is way bigger than you'll be able to manage or control. So just be comfortable with where you are, I think is what fear does to us. And even going off of that with fear, do you think that's why we conform so much? It's because of that thought of fear? Because we're afraid to stand out instead of... Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think with fear, we're not, I know I wasn't really taught to identify fear when it came up. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, I think as a man, you're always taught, don't be scared. Don't be a punk. You right. know, like, you know, be brave, um, which I don't know is the opposite of fear. Maybe it is. But even in being brave, you're not necessarily taught how to manage fear when it comes about. You're just taught not to embody it right um and that's something i think i'm still learning is to identify fear when it happens and to immediately take it out of my psyche take it out of my mental <laughs> right and get to the challenge itself and mm -hmm. just facing it head on you know right and what lessons do you think that you could learn from fear because you can learn a lesson in oh, everything man. And yeah. I, I really feel like there's powerful lessons that we can learn from fear. Um, like I said before, even if it's just standing out instead of fitting in, you know, um, fear, I feel like fear really pushes us to the next level. But that's only if we look at it from a certain perspective or a certain lens and not see fear as defeat, but more as fear is like a an stepping, opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. Or like a stepping stone yeah. towards success. Lessons and fear. <laughs> I think I know personally in my life, mm -hmm. um, 
I think I've had to battle the fear of success. Yeah. Um, I think when you have a talent or when you have a gift and people see potential in that gift, a lot of people put pressure on you yeah. to like really come into your own and reap the fruit of that success. But when you have a gift or something, or well, for me, I had the gift of being able to create from a young age and mm-hmm. be a creative. And for me, it was just something I naturally did and I knew it brought me happiness. Right. But everybody's definition of me being successful from that said gift was monetary success. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily becoming a better person or reaching new heights and new goals and creating a life that I could never even imagine. It was like, you need to make money off of this. Exactly. And for me, the fear was, okay, well, if I really develop my talent and use it for monetary things, then I'm not going to love it anymore. Right. My fear was that it was going to be, I was going to have the love of my life, so to speak, taken away from me because I was using it for a game that was physical or monetary. Um, but I had to embrace that head on and coming into college was really my big lens into seeing how that could be beneficial. Like I started doing flyers on campus shortly after enrolling and um, just giving people the service that they wanted, but being able to give them something that came naturally to me and having them pay me for it without having to lose myself. I learned that there's nothing to be afraid of. You just have to marry the service with the purpose. Wow, marry the service. Wow, that was powerful. (laughs) That was powerful. I'm going to write a book. Hey, might as well, Doug. (laughs) Don't don't let fear take over. (laughs) But I I remember earlier um, in our conversation that you were talking about energy. Yeah. And this is something that me and you talk about a lot is energy, that positive energy, negative energy. And they also discuss in like the secret. Um, You can also find in like Think and Grow Rich. If Mm -hmm. you really read between the lines, everything is a it's a matter of positive and negative energy. Right. And, you know, if you try to keep a balance in between those as well. And I really want to ask you, what what does energy mean to you? Hmm. And how does it affect you on a daily basis, whether it be positive energy, negative energy? Do you try to keep a balance in between? Um, Yeah. That's so funny. You're asking me these like small questions, but they're so loaded and where you can go with them. Exactly. Um, But energy, I think, is a tool. It's it's like a factor Mm -hmm. of either the way you can make or break a situation or manifest things in your life. Um, Like you said, it's the positive and negative. It's a spectrum Energy falls on a spectrum, almost like light does. Right. Like you have the negative, which is all the way on one end, the positive, which is all the way on the other. Um, and there's a famous quote, as above, so below, mm-hmm. which is a famous metaphysical and alchemical uh, ideology that on the grand scheme of things, it's going to affect even the smaller scheme of things. And on the smallest scheme of things, it's going to affect the bigger idea of things. Right. And... Energy works best to me when there's intention behind it. Like Salah said, do nothing without intention. Right. (laughs) That's true. But it's all intention based. 
and enter any energy just being put out into the atmosphere monotonously is can be dangerous. Yeah. Ultimately. Um, it's like energy is a conscious thing. Well, it operates on a subconscious level, but consciously when you've made the decision to put out positivity, ultimately you're going to get positivity poured back into your life. Like the seeds that you plant in your life, you're going to reap the harvest of. Mm-hmm. And if you put out seeds of negativity, you're going to reap the harvest of those negative things. Um, you may not see that immediately, right? but it's almost like a snowball effect. Like it, things take time to manifest and see the benefits of. And with energy itself, the sooner that you're conscious about the type of energy that you're emitting into your life and into your circumstances, the sooner you'll live a more intentional life and see that there's like a method behind the madness of doing things with intention. Right. And even going off of that energy, that's kind of like saying, yeah, I want to fail this exam. Yeah. You're going to end up failing the exam because you're putting that out. Right. It starts with how you think. And, And bouncing off of how you think, how much you think our thoughts contribute to our actions? They're the, it's one state. It's the mm-hmm. initial state of your action. Um, and I also wanted to say off of energy, that mm-hmm. energy is contagious. Yeah, that's very true. Like you can walk into a room and con- control the energy in the room, so to speak. Like you can move energy around, it's tangible. Um, but it all starts with you and how you get other people on your wavelength of energy and then how you look to control that. However, um, you said, how do you think thoughts do what? <laughs> no, no, you're fine. I was I was asking how much do you think that our thoughts contribute to our actions? Oh, yeah. Um, I feel like thoughts are the seeds of actions. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts are where your actions initially begin. Um, it's like going from one dimensional to three dimensional. Wow. Um, uh, there's so many philosophers I've read. I want to say it was Osho that broke it down to where when you think it's one dimensional, it's not necessarily 2D to where you could see it physically or 3D to where you can hold it in your hands. Right. But when you think all your thoughts exist on a one dimensional plane, meaning that they're still in your head or they're still conscious. Um, and it's once you say it or speak it out loud, it goes from one dimensional to two dimensional. Like giving something sound makes it matter and like the two dimensional space. And then once your sound or that thought is something somebody else can relate to and grasp the concept of, they can take your thought or the sound of it, the idea and turn it into a physical thing. You know what I mean? They can write it once you write it down on paper or once you draw a sketch or an idea of something and then go to make the model into an actual physical thing. That's the action, you know? Um, So yeah, thinking is planting the seed in order to see the fruit grow later. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and going off of that, um, 
you know, there's this quote in this book that I've been reading that I yeah. let you skim through <laughs> a little bit, which is as a man thinketh. Yeah. And what they said was thoughts of doubt and fear never accomplish anything and never can. I believe. I believe that. Yeah. That that's that's pretty deep. And you know, I feel like we're in the times now where we're starting to question a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You know, we were raised kind of to not question things and just kind of go with the flow. Like, you know, your mom told you to do something, but you just do it. Yeah. But <laughs> as we as we get older, we're starting to question a lot more things. Why do you think that that's happening now versus back then? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, a number of things. I think uh, I was watching an interview with Erica Badu. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that children are supposed to be the improvement on the design of their parents. Huh. And that resonated with me. Right. I was like, man, I know personally with my parents, their goal was to ultimately make it out of the situation that they were born into. Right. Like they were kind of born poor. They mm-hmm. were the generation that came right after like the Jim Crow era. Correct. And so for them, it was like, well, you need to break even. You need to be able to take advantage of the opportunities now that things are equal, quote unquote, right. for all people of color, creed, age, you know, all of that. But um, I think with our generation, we're starting to question more things because we see that a lot more is possible ah. outside of our circumstances that we're right. born into, especially due to the digital space that we exist in on the internet and the platforms the internet offers. Mm-hmm. Um like our ability to connect to other people on the other side of the world is way more convenient than it ever was before. We All we have to do is at the click of a button or the tap of a button on your phone screen, you're connected to the other side of the world. Right. You know, and I think that opens up the portal of thought where, okay, well, if this is possible, what else can I do with this technology or what else can I turn these opportunities into? Um, I know for me, um, like I have nieces that are like five and they know how to operate tech like the back of their hand. It, right. it just comes so natural. They know within by the age of three, they knew that Wi-Fi was a thing that they needed in order to operate the Internet. Right. We came up on dial up. <laughs> <you know? laughs> we came up on dial up when you know, right. the Internet was really like coming into finesse and like you know like uh we grew up playing snake (laughs) like that that, that wave of tech has really advanced so quickly right to where research itself is just a um what's her name not electra not siri alexa (laughs) this man said electra electra (laughs) I clearly don't have Alexa, but um, to where finding out the information or having access to something is literally a request away. Right. Why wouldn't you think to ask more questions or to think outside of the platform that your parents have already provided for you? So I just think it's a matter of the age we live in on a surface level. Right. I mean, but there's also the whole like conspiracy behind you know, us living in the age of Aquarius and, right. you know, the whole 2012 thing to where 
it's the end of the times, but I don't think the world is coming to an end. I think the end of an age came to an end. Yeah. And now we're just stepping into access of mm. a, a larger plethora of information that's going to trigger us to want to know more, uh, like just by nature. Right. And going off that, because I hear this word tossed around a lot still, which is um, generational curse. Mm. And do you think that that is a word that is overused because of the fact that I'm starting to see now that we're starting to break a lot of the generational curses? Mm-hmm. So do you think it's going to be a word that fades away or is it a word that still continue that we still continue to use and it kind of limits us to what we think that we can do? Hmm. Well, I know I can only speak about Correct. personal experiences yeah. But I only hear the phrase or the ideology of generational curses tossed around with like the black family. Correct. And I think before these generational curses would happen and people wouldn't quite know how to diagnose it and remedy said curses. Mm -hmm. From what I've been told, we have something called um, epigenetics. Which is oh, where, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, like the science, all right. You know? Um, and from what my understanding is that within epigenetics, your DNA itself can be programmed from the situations that happen to you in your life. And if these things go undiagnosed and unremedied, that they can spread like wildfire, like they'll continue to sprout generation to generation. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, in a short version, Mm -hmm. for those who don't know um, with epigenetics, it's basically the turning on and the turning off of certain genes. Yes. So you're you're totally correct Mm -hmm. with what you're saying. But I think it's down to that. I think... It's deeper than that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know, like, for example, um, they say... um, I'm not sure the science of it, Mm -hmm. but from what I've been told, like, being... A person who is of um, indigenous ancestry mm-hmm. or having lineage of like like Native American lineage or anything like that, you're more susceptible to um, being addicted to a substance or being a victim of substance abuse. And mm-hmm. I know for a lot of families or people of color, that's a, a thing like you have uncles or grandfathers or grandmothers who are addicted to drinking or would self-medicate or I know a big one is like early pregnancy or having children at an early age or out of wedlock or whatever. Um, And I think it's knowing that and knowing how to escape from these thoughts and well, being counseled through these things um because you know they say you know black people don't need therapy or therapy is black we can save that for okay yeah so but i think therapy is the ultimate way to remedy generational curses and a lot of it um with what you're talking about is a term called transgenerational trauma yeah yeah, they um actually there was a study done and I only know this because I do read like a variety of things mm-hmm. and I um, took some classes on it, but it was with victims of the Holocaust. 
Wow. Yeah. And and they basically what they found is the children and the grandchildren of the victims of the Holocaust still suffer some type of trauma from the Holocaust. Yeah, for sure. And they believe that it was passed down genetically. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it can happen unconsciously where they're just unaware of like, oh, I'm feeling this way, but I don't know why I'm feeling this way. Mm -hmm. And it's because of what happened to either your grandparents, your great grandparents, even your mother and your father. But could you even say that a, a piece of that can be chucked up to history and how history is told or the lens that history is told through? Correct. Kind of like um, post-traumatic slave syndrome. Exactly. Because <laughs> yes. I was about to say. That's not the DSM, by the way, post-traumatic slave syndrome. <laughs> I have to throw that out <laughs> there. <laughs> I don't need nobody to my podcast. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, if you're taught, almost like if somebody puts a mantra into you generation by generation, that right. this is your word, this is what you come from, this is ultimately what you're going to be, and what the demise of your culture and being is, that you learn to accept that mm-hmm. and it's not until somebody teaches you or until the programming of your society they say what is the quote it's like um something along the lines of like whoever controls history mm-hmm. controls like society or something like that mm-hmm. but i think that has a major influence on the trajectory of where we go in terms of our development and our evolution is the history that you learn like what is being programmed into your day-to-day from a very young age from grade school you know we learn to uplift a certain type of thought and way of thinking and society so um, it's about unlearning things so that you can learn the best way exactly yeah and with that being said i'm gonna ask you this last question sure and don't worry guys we will do a part two but what um piece of advice would you give to a college student who might be going through a rough time or thinking about giving up on their gift or their craft Hmm. well one i would say definitely have a mentor um But within that quote, as above, so below, if you're going to seek out mentorship, also be open to mentoring somebody else. Yeah. Um, Nobody's perfect. Right. Um, Part about life is seeking the idea of perfection, which I think is what keeps us going. Um, Just the idea of possibly coming to your zenith of evolution. But Mm -hmm. um, seek a mentor. Like, have somebody in your corner to tell them and be honest that, you know, I feel like giving up. I don't know what to do. I might be afraid. I have fear Mm -hmm. and ask, be real about it. Ask how maybe they can help you remedy your thought in the situation. Maybe they can um, give you an idea of how you can um, step away from what you're doing, get your mind off of it. And come back once you've recalibrated in order to tackle it with a fresh mind. And once you've learned those things, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it forward. Um, Give that message to a younger person or the next generation or even your best friend or your homie or somebody of an older generation who may need to hear your thoughts as a younger person. Um, But seek 
to learn more and be better through somebody else who you think can help you, don't stop at the first answer or the first no. My mentor told me, be willing to stand on a mountain of no's to get to one yes. 25 no's. Yeah. For the one yes, um, David Meltzer. Yes, sir. Hey, bring it, bring it back around. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, seek that mentorship. Seek to heal from whatever is making you feel defeated right. and pass that healing quote. Wow. Don't worry, guys. We are definitely doing another episode, but I wanted to continue to say thank you to everyone who is always supporting me. I appreciate it. I know you all have been waiting for our episodes, so I apologize for... I'm going, you know what? I'll own up to it for slacking off for about a week or two. I be probably, real. Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm honest. But um, there'll be a lot more content coming. And thank you all for listening to this episode.